Welcome to the official podcast of The Next CMO hosted by Plana. The Next CMO is a thought leadership podcast for those that are CMOs or want to become one. My name is Kelsey Kraft and I'm the Senior Marketing Manager. And I'm Peter Mahoney and I'm the founder and CEO of Plana and welcome to The Next CMO podcast. York, the co-founder and CEO of York IE. Kyle works closely with entrepreneurs and investors to help them realize their shared ambition to build good companies, create new jobs, and grow generational wealth and impact the world. How are you doing today, Kyle? Great. Thank you for having me. Well, well, Kyle, it is uh, it's awesome to have you. And I was uh, perusing through your uh, your bio the other day on your website, and uh, I re-reminded me of your, I don't know if you call it lack of focus or uh, <laughs> ability to handle multiple things at the same time, uh, but you, you've done a little bit of all of it, right? So yeah. you, uh, you were sort of a growth stage guy who grew uh, Dine to a pretty big company, $100 million, I think. That's right, yep. And then sold that to Oracle. Um, and then you were, and, and by the way, if you know uh, Kyle, you wouldn't picture him as central casting as the Oracle executive, <laughs> but you were an Oracle executive for a while. Uh, I was. And, and then you, uh, you, you, started, uh, the, you started York IE, and um, we're going to ask you to talk about that a little bit more because it's a fascinating combination of things. And then on top of that, you happen to sit on the board of your multi-generational family business, uh, York Athletic. Uh, and uh, you're a shoe guy, uh, so <laughs> exactly. so you 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 got a little bit of all. So for, for before you tell us a little bit more about York IE, I'd, I'd love to understand uh, of all of those diverse roles, uh, and you probably have others like your dad and uh, your friend and things like that. But of your professional roles, which which one of them stands out as the one that you like the most? Yeah, well, absolutely. So I mean. First and foremost, I, I am your stereotypical entrepreneur. You know, I grew up in a small family business uh, that was uh, actually a second generation family business. It was a sporting goods retailer uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And before that, it was actually a footwear manufacturing company started in 1946. So, you know, multi-generational um, uh, involvement in business, but involvement in business around sports also grew up playing sports, uh, so it was very competitive. I played four years of college football at Bentley and Waltham, not far from you folks. Uh, so I've always sort of been uh, involved in entrepreneurial endeavors. And what I'd like to call it all is the portfolio approach to business. You know, the, the uh, way in which my parents built their uh, business as a kid um, was actually, to the outside world, looked like one company, but it was actually four or five companies. You know, there was a real estate company. They owned their property. Uh, the property was right across from the now Southern New Hampshire University Arena in Manchester. So they had a parking lot business where they sold parking after hours. Uh, they had their screen printing and embroidery business that did uniforms, uh, you know, hats, uh, all that for, uh, and then they had their team and retail businesses for sporting goods. So you know, where do you go to buy all your bats for your baseball team or all your, all your equipment for uh, your basketball team, all that. So, it was actually multiple businesses in one, and it was interesting how one played off the other. And I thought to myself when I got my career going, like, if I could figure out how to do that, you know, blend my competitive spirit, my entrepreneurial nature, 
um, obviously have anchor anchor things to ground me and keep me focused. Uh, so it isn't a lack of focus. Uh, that that would be a heck of a lot of fun. And so I think of it as almost the modern day manifestation technology and startups that you know, I grew up with. Uh, so it's all I know. Oh, that that's awesome. I I, I think of you as a Renaissance man. Put it that way, right? You've got ah, this nice. uh, in, incredible diversity, and and yeah. I, I I think it's one of the things that makes your your background. Uh, compelling for your clients is that you've seen a little bit of everything. And it's funny, before uh, we started, we were chatting about the fact that you have vertical integration because you guys actually have, you own your building for York IE as an example. <laughs> right. But your your family business is almost like horizontal integration because yeah, literally you just it's, branched out pretty it's wide. It's true. I mean, I think when you think about me, I mean, my core job is a CEO and co-founder of York IE. I mean, that's when I wake up every morning, that's what I think about. And York IE is a you know, it's a next generation investment firm um, powered by market data and analytics and focused on growth and go to market, right? Like we, we have a lot of go to market experience in software businesses. We have lots of investing experience in software businesses. We have lots of governance experience in software businesses at, you know, Oracle scale all the way down to the, you know, two person and their dog startup, right? So um, at core, that's what we do. And the majority of, of my day to day is in software and technology and infrastructure, uh, vertical SaaS, you know, kind of up and down the stack. And that's the team I manage and run. We've packaged a lot of the um, more consumer brand media oriented stuff under the York Creative Collective, which I'm fortunate to have a, a, a brother and good friend. And uh, he's my older brother. I like to make sure people know that as well. Um, who uh, runs a marketing agency and runs the York Creative Collective. So he's the CEO of that. So all the media consumer oriented brands are, you know, packaged under there. And then, you know, we have our real estate and community affairs. So really it's, it's kind of three things, even though it's maybe all in all, like upwards of nearly a hundred uh, companies that we have a stake in. Um, and I, I always talk about it as an engagement matrix. You know, it's, where do you put your your time? Where do you put your capital? And, you know, not every single um, company we work with is in the upper right quadrant of the time on the Y and capital on the X axis. Um, it's, it's diverse across the whole portfolio. And certainly uh, some companies and through COVID times uh, have certainly demanded more attention, uh, you know, but other times, you know, I think the portfolio approach um, when, when times are good, uh, it's it, it's a heck of a ride, uh, you know. So it, it's been an interesting it's been an interesting thing to get this thing built after obviously the great foundation of my operational experience at Oracle and and dying before that, which you know makes it all possible. So how does your job of a marketing leader, you know, change in those different environments and you know all of these things that you have going on? Yeah, I mean. Whew. If I look back to my early career, um, you know, I was a marketing major at Bentley and I, I ended up first job was, a, you know, marketing uh, jack of all trades in a startup. You know, it was basically everything from content to demand gen to events to uh, really what they really were trying to tell me to do is drive damn leads. Right. So I was doing a lot of even BDR uh, level work, running our own, uh, our own captive conference. Uh, and that was for a company that sold um it was, a, it was a vertical SaaS business in the K to 12 private school space. So if anyone on the, on, on the, on the line listening, uh, you know, went to private school or their kids go to private school or, uh, you know, that's, they probably ran the software of this company. That company eventually ended up selling the Blackbaud, but you know, it really taught me the landscape of like doing marketing and sales and go to market in a startup. And, 
um, it was such an amazing fertile ground to learn because, you know, in one instance, I'd walk into a school that just got a $40 million gift uh, from their board member, Bill Gates, at the Lakeside School north of Seattle. Uh, and then the next day, I'd go to a Montessori school in uh, Massachusetts uh, with a kindergarten teacher who ran all the technology decisions, right? So you really learned how to uh, market broadly to um, all levels of technology uh, experience and scale and competence. Um, and, you know, would have to adapt and adjust on the fly, um, especially in those face-to-face or I guess back then, I don't know what it was, uh, WebEx or some other version of Zoom uh, back then. Uh, so, you know, it, it started there for me, which gave me kind of a, a, a lens of the world that I think is just an amazing learning experience. And then through Dyn, I mean, we did... Uh, we specialize in the DNS, which is the domain name system. And we became the world's leader in the DNS of being a managed cloud provider of DNS. Um, you know, our biggest, I, I wear t-shirts all the time, you know, used to be printed at my dad's shop before he retired, but you know, we had a campaign called DNS is sexy for many years. And, you know, for those who didn't know what it was, it would make them ask you what DNS was, uh, for those who did, they'd say, yeah, right. It's not really sexy. Come on. Um, and then, and then you'd start to talk about it. They're like, actually, yeah, that internet protocol is kind of cool. And you can do a lot of really unique tricks with that technology. And, and so, you know, it, it became this, um, that fertile ground of learning how to market to and talk to anybody, depending upon where they are on the spectrum, all the way to how do you take something that no one understands and build a brand around it and scale that to all of a sudden at Oracle, Oracle, is like the number 17th most recognized brand in the world. I don't think, I don't think everyone knows what they do necessarily, but it is, it is a household brand name. Um, we're there. It was actually, um, how do you market and evangelize a transformation and that Oracle was actually becoming a different company than maybe you remember, uh, and whether that be technically, you know, a database company or, um, reputationally a company with a bazillion lawyers that's going to crush your soul. Um, you know, those things were the things you had to navigate. So or the operator of TikTok. The very different. Yeah, and now they operate TikTok, which is, you know, um, yeah. an interesting, an interesting yeah, thing. So, sure so, so now my, my youngest, who's 19, uh, knows what Oracle is. Uh, th- those are the people who, who kind of bought, but not really, uh, TikTok. So it's, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I, I've, explain that to people that that is a there um whatever the mechanics of the deal are there in essence uh their cac is quite high their customer acquisition costs to acquire tiktok that is purchasing a customer but it's also purchasing a um a a a, a different way to look at the business right no one would have thought the tiktoks or the zooms of the world would be running on oracle cloud infrastructure and the days of azure and aws and and google cloud compute um google cloud platform so you know it's you know it's taking real heavy muscle deal prowess and basically saying how do we use that to our advantage to reshape our brand to the world Um, so yeah i have this experience that very few have from like you know niche vertical SaaS startup to homogeneous infrastructure niche product company to global scale Oracle Cloud, who, you know, they run ERP, human capital management, database, infrastructure. They, I mean, people don't even know they own MySQL, they own Java. I mean, it's like, it's it's a, such a behemoth. Um, you know, and I think bringing those lessons together to sort of manifest how I believe um, you build a brand, a sustaining brand for the next, you know, 20, 30 years, 
in startups today and private companies today, uh, I think has, you know, it brings a lot of value uh, to, to those entrepreneurs and a lot of perspective that, uh, you know, in a sequencing perspective, like a time horizon perspective that uh, I don't think a lot of people have. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's right. You do have this uh, uniquely voluminous experience when it comes to uh, just the diversity of the go-to-market that you've seen from consumer-related stuff to uh, to broad enterprise stuff to big brand stuff and everything in between. So it, as you you know, as with the investor side of you, uh, figuring out go-to-market is probably the one key that's the hardest thing and the most important thing for for companies to get beyond sort of their early stages to become a successful company. So how do you take this broad diversity of stuff and figure out when you're coaching these companies how to apply the right kind of go-to-market techniques to solve their specific problem? Totally. So I think the two, I could bucket two types of companies that we talked to. Yeah, the one company with the biggest vision you've ever heard to boil the ocean and attack a market opportunity with no execution plan to get there, right? That's bucket one. Bucket two, teeny tiny vision, super focused ability to execute, but no total addressable market and no scale to the company opportunity. And literally like every day when I talk to somebody, I can bucket them in one of those two categories. It's the rare company you can, you know, talk about a vision holistically and then give you a backwards plan with milestones all the way back to day zero where we are today those are the companies that end up being the companies you you really want to back or you really want to consult for or advise or get involved with um because at the end of the day it's it's opening up when you hit milestones for startups it's about opening up the next um opportunity and this is you know everyone you know always talks about this but there's no perfect up into the right experience that a startup has so what we really do is um, a lot of times we dilute this into what we call our business strategy messaging hierarchy exercise a lot of times it gets a little bit of bad rap especially the technical founders when we first start talking to them it's like oh, i'm gonna work on messaging like oh this is so fluffy um but really what we're trying to do is distill down what the heck their actual strategy is. This is long before you should be doing a deck or building a website or tactically executing your social strategy or your content strategy or demand gen programs, your event strategy. Like you got to actually know the vision, know the mission, uh, know your descriptors, know your taglines, understand your boilerplate, your elevator pitch, not just to throw in the about us section at the bottom of a press release, but who are you? What do you do? How do you do it? Who do you do it for? How do we get in touch and actually have some contact with you? And then bring that all the way down into market segmentation and the key vertical industries and the buyer personas, all the way down into product descriptions and, and repeatable use cases to bring the market. Until you do that, you can't even decide whether or not you're selling people with a field sales team or you're hiring a bunch of BDRs and going inside sales or if you're going to be a channel distribution model, you know, and that's that's just it on the sales hiring plan, let alone what demand gen programs or what mix you should have to drive top of funnel traffic, right? So that's typically where I go is I bring it all the way back down to that. From an investor, you know, we look at the same things everybody else looks at, right? We look at market opportunity, we look at team, 
and expertise. We look at product, you know, technology, moat, you know, IP, and then we look at go to market and whether that's forward looking go to market or, Hey, here are our lighthouses. Here's our current uh, success to date. Is this something that we think we can build upon? And then that all gets rooted in the fundamentals of the financial model and whether or not we believe that the semblance of the organization around it, the people can actually take on that market opportunity and can actually um, make a dent on the world. And, you know, we end a lot of times our decision-making process with a simple question. Um, if this company one day sells to Oracle or files an S1 and goes public or flips itself to Adobe or Salesforce or any strategic or heck, maybe even these day, this day and age sells to Tobo Bravo at Vista or some TV shop, uh, you know, are we gonna, you know, tell our, tell our significant others uh, disappear with our kids and go to a closing dinner in New York or San Francisco or Boston. Uh, do we like these guys enough? Do we like these gals enough? Are these the types of people we want to celebrate success with and help enable success with and, and, and have shared success with? And if the answer ends up being no to that, uh, we just won't even get involved. We won't take on the consulting client. We won't invest. We won't advise. We won't sit on boards. Uh, you know, life and career is too short, I think, especially in these COVID times to not work with people you really really, really enjoy working with. Yeah, you, you said a lot there, Kyle, and I'm going to unpack a couple of things. Um, so the, the last piece, I think, is is really important. And and there are, there are a few things in there. Obviously, as you said, you, you want to pick the people you're going for a ride with. But more importantly, I think the what's embedded in there is the idea that to, to actually achieve that level of success, it means you have to work pretty hard with people and, and collaborate pretty closely with people. And if you don't want to spend a lot of time or you don't think the people that you're collaborating with are the ones who are going to listen with you, listen to you, or engage appropriately, then it's less likely that they're actually going to achieve their potential. That's Well, and clearly it has to be complementary parts, right? I mean, yeah. I, we have a very specific go-to-market expertise in SaaS. Uh, we tend to focus the majority, 90 8% plus of our efforts uh, in our York IE company to that. And, you know, I think the reality is like, that's what we're good at. If they're already loaded up in those areas and they deeply need finance help, or they deeply need uh, product development, you know, engineering help uh, might not be the right fit for us. Right. So I think it's also for people listening, like it's knowing your strengths really, really well and knowing who you complement and the type of team you fit in well with and, you know, making sure that that's, that's as good of a fit as anything else. You mentioned the right people um, to invest with or, you know, partner with during these COVID times. It's especially crucial. So how has the pandemic, you know, impacted your investment approach, if at all? Well, um, so I think philosophy wise, you know, we we're trying to take a little bit of a counter Silicon Valley uh, approach to fundraising and to capitalization of companies. You know, we, you know, dime, we didn't raise a dollar of outside funding until we were 30 million of ARR. I actually think that's probably the number one best highlight of the story of dime is we just ignored and stiff armed VCs until it was truly growth equity and private equity coming in to help us expand and, you know, even part of it was one of our co-founders was leaving. So, you know, it was just more of a give him, him a little pat in the back uh, and let him go on his merry way. Uh, so, you know, I think from our perspective, 
uh, it's really shined a light in the philosophy of efficient, effective um, cash management and investment management and ensuring that we're truly aligned with the companies that we're backing, that they're not, you know, you guys have seen it, the decks, the startup decks that have like, well, we're going to raise this money. And then the next milestone literally in the deck is a seed round or a series A round or a series B round or a series F round. And it's just like, if that's what you're building your company for, um, then that's not something I think we want to be involved in. We want to be involved in companies where the uh, cap table is in the hands of the people building shareholder value, which tend to be the founders, the executive teams, the common shareholders. And that's just incredibly different than uh, venture capital. I mean, if you think of venture capital specifically, they raise a big fund or one fund, two funds, three funds, 10 funds, and they are continually fundraising. They're paid by limited partners, the people's money they're investing. That's the client, right? Then they're deploying capital. They're raising money again to deploy more capital. So there's a perverse incentive to put more capital at every company that they back, whether that company should take their capital or more capital or not. So I think what it's done for us, COVID, is it's just screamed like bright lights, like philosophical alignment on the sort of effective, efficient use of capital proceeds and scale. The other thing it's done, though, more from a deal diligence perspective, I mean, if you're not able to meet face-to-face then you need to do way more diligence on the people you're backing. And to do that, you have to do a lot of like back channeling and sort of internet stalking and reference checking. And we've just, we do so much more of that now than before. We usually get our own pulse of the people by meeting with them. And maybe there'd be a call or two because you'd have a shared LinkedIn connection. I feel like now we're literally making a dozen phone calls and we're asking for references and we're talking to other investors. And, you know, again, beforehand, if we're sitting face to face and shaking hands, uh, looking at each other in the eyes, we tended to be able to do that on our own. So that's added a whole new element uh, for us that I think we'll probably sustain. Actually, it's kind of a little bit more mature than just trusting your instinct and gut uh, and adds a little bit more process. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of processes like that that you just mentioned that are that are just going to stick. I think if you look at the the idea of remote or hybrid remote kind of working, that clearly is working more. Even in our personal lives, I think things like telehealth are going to be more prevalent now because they loosened up some of the regulation in the short term because it, for safety reasons. And I think a lot of this stuff is going to stick. Have, have you seen... Uh, have you seen a, a big change? If you look at all of your clients and across your portfolio, uh, have you seen any sort of consistent, thematic, fundamental changes that these companies have gone through? Or is it really specific to the individual company? No, I think you have. I mean, I think right when this hit, you know, every single company, they should have if they didn't, but every company on the planet did three key things, right? Number one, they looked at their 90 to 120 day plan. And they basically were like, like, what is our triage? Like right now, not knowing what actually is going to happen. I mean, you remember like mid-March, we were all just kind of told to go home, right? So it was a little bit like, okay, like now what? We don't know how long this might last. Uh, we still don't know how long this might last. So it was a 90 to 120 day sort of triage. Number two, every company, um, you know, again, every company, if they didn't, they should just do this now, uh, reforecasted 2020 and 2021 like right away. And then I, and I mean that both in the expense side, but also in top line, like, like let's like 
get super pragmatic. Like whatever we told our last round investors or our last board meeting were our like perfect world scenario targets, throw them out the window and let's be pragmatic and conservative and make sure we have good, better, best plans um, going through this. And then number three, what I think this is definitely not what enough companies did is, uh, is focus on strategic things that this new world order of like being home, being remote, maybe having more time as leaders to be alone with your thoughts and reflect and think about strategic projects. I mean, before the call, we were talking about writing a book, you know, like if you, if your company wanted to write a book as part of your marketing strategy, then write that damn book. Right. Um, and so I think we've seen a lot of um, new bets made that could become the future of business models or new product lines or new revenue drivers um, that just, again, weren't possible because you were afraid to make the bets in a world pre COVID where now it's like, Hey, maybe we should try a few of these things and see if any of them stick. So I would say like thematically, especially in our portfolio, that's what we pressed and tried to help collaborate and get everybody to do. I think from a macro market perspective, I mean, we work in software like you guys do, right? I mean, the enterprise software space, if you look at the public market comps, I mean, the best investment I've ever done in my life, it actually started, I was an advisor, earliest advisor for on go to market um, for a company called Fastly. It's a content delivery network that competes with Cambridge's Akamai. Earlier today, they were $115 a share. I mean, literally worth $12, $13 billion. And I think when I invested, they were worth four million. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are just, and that's just on the tailwinds of work from home, r remote work, globalization, like, you know, like people online, people looking to distract themselves. I and mean, that's an infrastructure company, right? Um, they perform better than Zoom through this. So I think we've just seen a lot of like, everyone freaked out, but it's also like, hey, there's going to be macro crises, there's going to be micro crises, not everybody's going to face hardcore headwinds. Some some companies are actually going to get immense tailwinds, uh, ride them. And and so I do think there was an, an inclination or an instinct for everybody to like, say the sky's falling. And actually, in your industry, you might be crushing it. So, you know, let's let's look at how you maybe maybe turn the negatives into a positive. Yeah, I, I think that's really smart, Kyle. And And certainly there are companies who Who've, who've done really well and, and will continue to do well. Fastly is a good example. And uh, in Zoom and Akamai and others have, have done well because the, the reality is that there's this short-term turbo boost in remote working, but people are figuring out that you can remote work and it's going to be more accepted and it's accelerating digital transformation in general. We've seen a huge uh, bump in demand for our, you know, marketing planning and budgeting platform because the reality is people need an agile plan now. They, they totally. know that things are going to change. And so we've, we've seen pretty significant growth from that. But then you look at companies, uh, you know, there's some really great companies from brilliant people like uh, Paul English who started Lola Travel. And yep. you know what? Nobody's traveling right now. And, and they're thinking and working on, I was just talking to Volpe about this. They're, they're working on some really creative things around some, uh, some augmentations of the business model that, that, that they can do um, to, to create some, some growth opportunities. So they're thinking strategically. And, and I think you're right. The, the people who find that opportunity to, to think strategically uh, about where things are going uh, are, are the ones who are going to long-term long -term make it. 
And yeah, and I think in the early stage, guys, I mean, Peter, like, the early stage, like, COVID just shined a light on some business fundamental stuff in our portfolio. And I was like, hey, hey heck, maybe they're actually just spending too much in marketing. <laughs> or, heck, maybe they were overly um, balanced to engineering and product development and very light in sales, right? Like, you know, or, hey, they have way too many third-party consultants. Like, this is a good opportunity to clean it up. So I feel like so much of it was like COVID, you know, like never let a good – you know, crisis, uh, you know, you know, whatever, right? Like, it's like, it's an excuse. It's like, sometimes I sit there and be like, oh yeah, you were just, we didn't notice it because we were building the company, but you're spending way too much money on third-party analyst firms, <laughs> you know, for a company of 1 million ARR, right? So I think that was like definitely one thing. Another example like Lola, um, and I'm, I'm intimate with that, just being friends with Mike, but there's one called Mayflower Venues in, in, in Boston. You know, it's a it's a wedding venue management platform for like people who own barns and apple orchards and pumpkin patches and lake houses who want to turn their home like an Airbnb when you turn your home into a into a hotel, they wanted to turn it into venues. And you know, this hits you. There's no more weddings, right? Um, but there will be a trend coming of outdoor weddings in the future and they started to shift more like the value being it's like a marketplace, the value being to the bride and groom turn the value into a venue management platform for the venue. And then now they have time because they're not hosting weddings to evaluate technology and how that might make them more efficient, uh, more automated, uh, more modern uh, and, and put those tools in the hands. So the business model became more of like what I like, which is subscription and in a way from, you know, the kind of consumer marketplace and eventually they'll marry back together, but it was a, it was a quick shift in, in strategy that I actually think is going to have more staying power and potentially long-term create more enterprise value. And I think, I think that's exactly what this is enabling also for, for Mike and Paul and Lola. I, that, that makes a ton of sense. I, I want to pivot a little bit to, uh, as you know, our audience is made up of, uh, of a bunch of marketing leaders or, or aspiring marketing leaders. And, and um, I often, uh, when I'm working with, marketing people earlier in their career, tell them that an early stage company is actually a great opportunity because you, you can wear a lot of hats. You talked about in the first company that you were, uh, you were at, you had an opportunity to do a little bit of everything. And I think it's a great sort of internship model that, that is, uh, is really useful. But if you look at, uh, so from your perspective, when you put your investor hat on, as an example, one of the most important roles from the investor side is a recruiter. Um, you're, yeah. you're the person who brings in talent to your portfolio. It's one of the key value propositions that you can deliver often. Um, and so when you're looking at that, I want to bring a marketing leader into one of my companies. Um, yep. And tell us a little bit about what you're looking for. Because again, our audience, especially people yeah. who haven't re re reached the peak yet, they'd love to know what that person who's trying to find that next great person, what are they looking for in the next great marketing person to put in one of their prize portfolio companies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and my perspective is so unique because, you know, when I was originally hired at Dine out of my first startup, I was a VP of sales and marketing. And I quickly title jumped to chief revenue officer, but I kept marketing and BD and corp dev and product marketing and demand gen and sales and success and support. I was, you know, I had all functions, right? So 
you know, I only actually carried this CMO title for like a hot minute in like, you know, 2015 when we were hiring a new head of S- SVP of global sales and they were transitioning me to like a chief strategy officer, like sacred cow role, like don't leave, you know, uh, type of role. Um, but it's funny because I always kind of ran marketing and my, um, what I always talk about when it comes to marketing leadership is ultimate accountability and the need to connect to outcomes and results and revenue and customers. And I think oftentimes um, some traditional tracks of marketing, um, maybe more on the creative or the brand or the campaign side, um, sometimes veer or the SEO or SEM, sometimes veer too far away from that or understanding your place in that funnel and in the sort of KPIs that drive to, towards that ultimate accountability, that sometimes like those are not the people that end up being chosen for uh, those top tier marketing roles, especially in technology. I'm talking mostly about just given my, my background. So I, I think, you know, if you're out there today and you're trying to figure out how to do that, I think it's, it's really getting close with understanding sales and working your way back up the funnel and you know right now roles in user experience user experience design ux um conversion uh these are areas that are like practically impossible to find um in growing companies as well as married with demand generation functions i mean truly being able to drive top of funnel demand that converts to qualified sales opportunities uh you know is critical these days because you know one time we had this cfo consultant um rick darrow was his name from um he were, used to work for gomez the web monitoring company and then uh who was bought by compuware one time he asked me a simple question early in my career when i was in those roles at dying he said are you feet constrained or are you lead constrained and i literally asked myself that every day now as a ceo and i asked myself that as, as a gm inside oracle i asked myself that as a cro as a cmo Am I lead constrained or my feet constrained? Um, lead obviously being um, top of funnel marketing, uh, feet being reps, BDRs, outbounders, you know, people hammering pavement for you. Um, and I think that's a tough, that's a tough question for people to answer. So I guess my point is make sure you are attaching yourself to some of these core skills that are hard to find the UX kind of customer experience side and the demand gen lead gen side. Um, but also, you know, attaching yourself best you can to the sales organizations, those KPIs, those processes and those people, uh, because at the end of the day, if you can show you can drive revenue, um, you, you will be one of the most important parts, uh, of a C-suite in any company. Yeah. Especially earlier stage companies, obviously, I, I think in, in, in any company, I, I think the idea of, accountability that you brought up is really important. The ability to demonstrate value in, in optimize and deliver value. And I'll, I'll point you to, I know you, my, uh, I, by the way, I, I'm not going to throw shade on Kyle for not reading my book yet because I know it just hit his desk just like yesterday, yesterday or something. So he hasn't got through it. Uh, but there is a chart in my book that I'll point out that's, that talks about what's called the integrated marketing machine. Uh, and, and it's sort of a more a blown out version of, of your leads, leads or feet uh, kind of question. Uh, and uh, b- because th- that, that's exactly it. You need to understand the, uh, you understand marketing is a interconnected system. 
Uh, and as you highlighted, there's a top of the funnel, there's a bottom of the funnel. There are also lots of steps along the way, and there are things that influence the funnel, and you need to understand uh, how all of those points in the system are interacting and in where the choke point is and, and where there's a lever for growth. We, we just went through this and, you know, we've recently expanded our, our BDR team. Uh, and yep. uh, we found that uh, in, in the first quarter of their existence, um, they contributed more revenue and more cash than we paid for them. Uh, so the question we ask is, well, we have two. What happens if we have 10? Uh, and, and start thinking about those scalabilities. So I think people with that mentality uh, and, and um, in, th in thinking, th the people who think about not only overall sales and driving the top line, but think holistically about business value, I think are, are really important. And it, that was embedded in some of your comments that you made. Yeah, a, I mean, it's, a it's business value and it's the repeatability of the business value. Like, like a lot of execution is like mechanical and boring and mundane. But like when you do it consistently over time, that's what builds brands. I think like, I think I weirdly come at this from a totally, like I don't think I'm a very good typecast of a CMO or a CRO or pick a title, right? I, the way I've built companies as an operator is brand and sales, right? Like evangelize the story, have a story, stand for something, make sure it's disruptive and not lame and not copycat like actually have points of views and put them out in the world every day, all day from the loudest rooftops and then create as many champions and advocates around that story you can and then close goddamn deals, right? Like literally like those are the two ends. So we're talking like even above the top of the funnel, I'm talking in the clouds above the funnel and then like the dollar symbol at the end. Right. And you know, I hired typically around me to fill in all the mechanics of your chart because I know about myself that I'm going to be just absolutely atrocious at the MQL to SAL handoff. I just think that stuff is like so boring and so mundane and so annoying and fought over, right? But there are people who are really, really good at understanding that handoff and making sure that it works on both on both the marketing and the sales side. Um, so, you know, I think, I think of it... Uh, I think if sometimes in myself, like, even though I'm a known operator, <laughs> sometimes I think of myself operating kind of on, on those ends of the spectrum as well. For early stage companies, do you prefer to bring up and coming uh, first time marketing leaders or do you want someone with, you know, that proven track record? <sighs> um, I thematically talk a lot about builders versus managers. Hmm. Uh, I think it depends upon the sophistication of your, of your, uh, go to market motion. I also think it's complementary parts to be discussed earlier around your other leadership. Uh, I'd always bet on the rising star though. Um, the majority of my career when I've hired people who have been there, done that early stage. Um, I actually like literally just tweeted this. I wish, I wish I could like, I wrote higher wisely and it was something like, stage expertise, level expertise, uh, VC versus bootstrap expertise, manager versus individual contributor expertise, manager versus process expertise, uh, or sorry, builder versus process expertise. Like there's so many things you have to look at based on the stage of the company, the other executive hmm. team members, the go-to-market motion. Uh, and it's honestly really, really, really hard. But I've had the most success in my career when I've hired the rising stars and given them that next level up opportunity to go out there and earn it. It, it makes a lot of sense, especially coming from, as you described earlier, you were that 
rising star earlier in your career. So I think you get it, right? You, you, yeah, and you can kind of sniff it out. You're like, yeah. all right, that, that person has it or they don't. Now, that's not to say, by the way, that, you know, we had a really wonderful CFO that was hired in who was, who was big company guy who was able to come into the culture, uh, Kevin Bisson, and fit in really well and do amazing things for us. Um, so we, 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 when I say, like, experience versus, you know, rising star, I don't mean rising stars have no experience, right? Um, it's just, you know, this person had to be a CMO twice before at like companies going from 3 million to 50 million like like let's be sure you're not looking for the thing that like kind of doesn't always exist um yeah. let's let's look for the thing that we can create more more of the future cmos uh out there you, you mean you don't look for people who've had 25 years of SaaS experience in the bitcoin and uh and cryptocurrency uh, landscape it, it, exactly. I mean, yeah and, and, and took companies to unicorn status three times over like I feel like a lot of times I do, by the way, sit in board calls. Um, now, yeah, we're an investor, but we really position ourselves as the extension of the operating teams we back and as entrepreneurs. And the amount of times I, I try not to like represent preferred shareholders. I try to represent the company and the people we're working with. And a lot of times I sit in these meetings and I'm like, you know, you'll get the like, you know, the PE firm who's like, you know, I just don't understand why you guys don't have $300,000 uh, a year clients. And I don't understand why someone from PTC doesn't just come in here and want to run your marketing efforts. And you'll just sit there and you'll say, well, because the product's not worth 300 grand, your average selling price is 25. Just do more of that. HubSpot got to a pretty big company on $8,000 a year customers. Dime was $18,000 a year customers. Like if that's what you're good at, then that's an inside sales motion with BDRs and e-commerce. That's not a field sales organization where you have half a million dollar reps. But I think what you end up seeing a lot is too much pattern mapping to, you know, hopeful outcomes, not, you know, bottoms up planning of what will actually, what will actually get you there from a lot of those folks. Yep. That, that makes sense. So uh, a, a couple last quick questions, and I think we have to we have to wrap. Uh, we've, we've gone in a lot of places here in this discussion, uh, as it didn't surprise me just having spent some time with you before, <laughs> Kyle, I knew we were going to do this. Uh, but w one thing just uh, for for our listeners, uh, you know, give give them a quick uh, tip on how they can connect with with your company, with York IE, uh, and and why they might want to want to do such a thing. Certainly, they should follow you on Twitter because I find you highly entertaining there. Uh, but uh, but how else should they connect with York IE? Yeah, sure. So yeah, on Twitter, I'm kyork20, and then which is my football number. Good luck number after Barry Sanders, best running back of all time. Um, and then uh, we're York at York Growth across all social channels. And our website is York.ie. Uh, that's actually stands for uh, Investment Enterprise. It's also the biggest deal die number one was in Ireland, which is the Irish TLD. So that's why we actually have that top level domain name. Uh, so you can find us in all those places. You know, we're putting out lots of education on how to build and scale a startup. Um, we have consulting and advisory advisory services for business growth, for market product strategy, and for marketing communication services. And we also are an early stage seed investor. So we will invest in the cream of the crop that we engage with. We're also very excited. We're We've teased it out a little bit. We're launching a platform for market uh, data and analytics. It's really a competitive intelligence platform. I uh, think of it almost like management consultancy meets analyst firm uh, that, you know, we plan to launch next spring that I think will be very valuable to entrepreneurs trying to, trying to find their, uh, find their path. Uh, so lots of ways to connect with us and look forward to doing it. 
That's great. I think we've got one more, our favorite question. And then, uh, so Kelsey, why don't you take us home? It's no surprise, you know, this podcast is for marketing leaders, for those that are listening. So what advice would you give, you know, those rising stars or those current CMOs? Yeah, I think what I'd give you that advice is to be very well-rounded. Um, I think it's important that you obviously play to your strengths and not try to be something that you're not. Uh, so double down there, but also be well-rounded and attach yourself the best you can to revenue. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kyle. Uh, what a wealth of knowledge that we've learned just from listening to you and um, doing this podcast. Make sure to follow the next CMO and Plana on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can look at York IE in our show notes below. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests, you can email them to the next CMO at Plana.com. Have a great day, everyone. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you.